0: At Online MedEd, we walk you through every topic in detail so you're ready for the boards and the wards. Step two and the shelves begin to leave physiology behind. So physiology of pregnancy is probably not going to help you so much on the test. But you should be aware of what's supposed to happen in a pregnant woman and have some idea why that is, so that when you see something that is abnormal, which may not be considered abnormal for a normal medical patient, you'll at least be able to identify, "Uh, something's going on over there. I should probably look into that. The three major systems I want to focus on are going to be the cardiovascular system, because most of the changes happen here, the pulmonary system, because it's tricky and therefore great board fodder, and the clotting cascade, both because it's teleologic and because this is a major cause of morbidity and mortality, Once we get through these three, we'll sort of clean up with the remainder. First, in the cardiovascular system, blood pressure is going to be maintained, that's the mean arterial pressure, by a product of cardiac output and systemic vascular resistance. Cardiac output is heart rate times stroke volume, and stroke volume is preload times contractility. Now remember, baby's a parasite, and its job is to steal as much blood and nutrients from mom as possible. Mom has learned to live symbiotically with this parasite and is willing to donate her nutrients to baby to have a child. So it would not surprise you then that the systemic vascular resistance through vasodilation goes substantially down. This increases blood flow by decreasing resistance in the capillary beds. This makes sense because, one, baby's growing into the placenta, so there's a lot more blood vessels that are going to be engorged in feeding the placenta. And two, hormones happen to decrease the systemic vascular resistance. This causes the blood pressure to fall. So you should expect to see in a pregnant woman reduced blood pressures from her baseline. Because the blood pressure goes down, the cardiac output compensates in order to maintain perfusion, so you should see the heart rate rise. And usually the heart rate rises by about 15%. Pregnant women shouldn't be tachycardic unless they're in labor. You'd think, though, just on the math, that if the systemic vascular resistance fell, the contractility would increase as well. turns out it doesn't. The EF stays the same. You don't get a hyperdynamic heart. And if you have one, then something's wrong. But where a lot of it comes in is in the preload. Preload goes way, way up. And as we'll talk about in a minute, it does this both to decrease the viscosity and improve cardiac reserve. That is, have a bunch of blood hanging around that's not being used so that when she loses it during delivery, she can tolerate it. The net effect is going to be, though, a reduced blood pressure. If we talk about the delivery of oxygen, it's going to be the cardiac output that we just talked about times the hemoglobin times the percent sat. Now, this equation isn't necessarily truthful because it's not really the hemoglobin that matters, it's the red blood cells. It's how many red blood cells there are that carry oxygen. The amount of red blood cells substantially increases. The SAT stays the same, and we already know cardiac output goes up, so the delivery of oxygen is increased as well. Again, makes sense. Gotta feed baby as well as mom's tissues. But the thing is, and the reason why I crossed off hemoglobin is because hemoglobin is a concentration. It's a concentration of how many red blood cells there are in how much water, that is, plasma. And while the red blood cells do increase, to increase the oxygen-carrying capacity as well as have reserve for when she bleeds, plasma increases substantially more. That is to reduce the viscosity of the blood, so, not only are there more pipes that are, that are dilated, that are easier to flow through, but the fluid itself is flowing better. So, the hemoglobin usually falls. Blood pressure goes down, lots of preload gets added, delivery of oxygen goes up, hemoglobin goes down because although there are more red blood cells, there's more plasma than red blood cells. And as a little caveat IVC syndrome, IVC compression. As mom gets a really big gravid uterus, it can compress the IVC. If she's hypotensive, she may have a problem with preload. Simply turn her on her left side to allow gravity to move the uterus off the IVC and see what happens. The pulmonary system is good board fodder because if you just use logic, if you deduce what's wrong, you'll get the wrong thing. So most people think as that uterus grows, it compresses the diaphragm and mom can't breathe as well. So let's talk about the different elements of the lungs that matter. Carbon dioxide is all about the minute ventilation, tidal volume, and respiratory rate. When it's talking about obstructive lung disease, that is getting air out, what we care about is the FEV1, asthma, COPD. In if we're talking about interstitial lung disease, that is problems getting oxygen into the system, we're going to be paying attention to the PaO2. And also what you have are some other lung volumes that are going to be relevant. Because there's no problem with reactive airway disease, the FEV1 is not going to change. And because there's nothing wrong with her lungs, the PaO2 should not change. And if you just used logic, you might think that Uterus crushes mom's diaphragm, so tidal volume falls, respiratory rate rises. You'd be wrong. Respiratory rate doesn't change, and mom just takes bigger breaths. The thing that actually changes because of mom's gravid uterus is the functional residual capacity. That's what goes down. Mom is breathing normal, but she can't take super big breaths because there is a gravid uterus in the way. But nothing really happens to her pulmonary system. That's the whole point. Nothing really changes. Clotting is fairly complicated physiology wise, and we talk a lot about it in platelets and bleeding in hemonc. So I'm going to blow through this pretty quickly, assuming that you know enough to realize mom is hypercoagulable. And this makes sense, right? Evolutionarily, while we were developing, it made sense that mom has extra hemoglobin reserve, extra plasma volume, so if she hemorrhages during pregnancy, she can still live. And also, if she's going to hemorrhage, she should be pro-thrombotic to prevent blood loss. Now, in developed countries, it actually is the leading cause of morbidity and mortality in pregnancy. To give you a review, primary hemostasis is all about the platelets. And platelets go through the three A's to do their thing. That is adhesion to the cell wall, or the endothelium, activation and aggregation. The end result of primary hemostasis is going to be a platelet plug, which has on it a fibrinogen mesh. See why that's relevant in just a second. In pregnancy, von Willebrand factor is increased, which increases adhesion, which systematically increases the amount of fibrinogen mesh we have and it makes sense that this happens, right? We want to have this endothelial injury. We want to make sure the platelets go to where the damage is and build a fibrin clot. The problem is when it goes off where it shouldn't. The secondary hemostasis is all about factors. Now somewhere in here is the clotting cascade, and you do not have to memorize the clotting cascade for this lesson. Simply to say that the clotting cascade is going to end with one final step. Fibrinogen, fibrinogen, that is factor one, gets activated into fibrin. And fibrin is the clot. Fibrin clots are made of fibrin. The body normally breaks down fibrin into split products via TPA and in pregnancy, what happens, in addition to increased von Willebrand factor, is you're going to have increase in the, in the platelets, 7, 8, 10. You're going to have an increase in the inhibitor, DUTPA. And you're going to have reduced protein CNS. Protein CNS are anticoagulants. If you have less CNS, you're procoagulable. The factors are pro so if you have more of them, you're pro-coagulable. The whole point is that you're going to end up with a whole lot more clotting. This is good when it comes to hemorrhage because mom will stop hemorrhaging. This is bad when it comes to DVT-PEs, especially when you have compression of the IVC, which causes stasis. Caveats here. Fibrinogen should be elevated. A normal fibrinogen in a pregnant woman, especially as she's near term, is a sign she might be in DIC. These are the ones you should pay a lot of attention to. The the next ones are the ones just to round it out. And we'll talk about endocrine in its corresponding sections. We're going to talk about kidneys, how much weight you should gain, and then also the GI system, which doesn't really bother the doctor so much, but is the primary complaints of mom. So the kidney, having a decreased systemic vascular resistance but increased preload and decreased viscosity, you're going to end up with an increased GFR. This makes sense. If you increase blood flow to the uterus, you can't selectively choose the uterus, so you're going to increase blood flow everywhere. That means the creatinine is going to be lower than normal, usually 0.4 to 0.8. One, which is normally considered normal, is abnormal. For a pregnant woman, the further along she gets, the lower the creatinine should be. A normal or upper limit of normal creatinine in a pregnant woman without kidney disease is a sign that she has something wrong. And as that gravid uterus grows, you can get obstructive uropathy, which usually happens at the pelvic brim. Don't worry so much about what that means. It's more just memorize those lines in case you get a question about it. Now, weight gain, again, is not something you should commit to memory. And I'll give you my way of handling weight gain, how much a woman should gain as she goes through pregnancy. A lot of people believe, and I'm not saying health professionals, but the general community believes that if you have an eight-pound baby, you should gain eight pounds. That's not the case. There's a lot of other stuff that goes on, the hemoglobin plasma volume, the amniotic sac, the placenta, the uterus itself. So there's a lot more weight you should gain than the weight of the baby. So it helps to educate families and also recognize that, hey, if this woman is not growing at the proper rate, baby may not be either. Interuterine growth restriction may be indicated by failure to gain weight from mom. How much weight you're supposed to gain is dependent on your weight when you start. And we stratify into underweight, that is a BMI less than 18.5, normal weight, 18.5 to 25. Overweight, 25 to 30, and morbidly obese, greater than 30. The way I keep track, the way I remember, the way I ballpark if mom is gaining enough weight is to use the quarter system. We set it up top to bottom, underweight to overweight. The quarter system begins on the bottom. If you have a BMI greater than 30, you should gain one quarter, 0.25 pounds per week, If you have a BMI of 25 to 30, you should gain another quarter. So add a quarter to 25, and you get 0.5 pounds per week. A normal woman with normal weight should gain another quarter. So add a quarter to 50 cents, you get 75 cents or 0.75 pounds per week. And if someone with reduced weight should gain the most, add another quarter to 75 cents, you get a dollar, that's one pound per week. To speak truth is not worth remembering, because this is at the end of pregnancy, did you gain enough weight? Someone who's underweight should gain the most, and so committing these numbers to memory isn't useful unless you're going to go into obstetrics. Just recognize that you may have to present these things to an attending. You're not going to get questions like this on the boards. An underweight woman should gain 28 to 40 pounds, which is about one pound per week. Normal weight and slightly overweight make a lot of sense because their weight gains align. That is, a woman who is normal weight should gain 25 to 35 pounds. At 25, the lower limit of normal, is going to be the upper limit of obese. And it's 15 to 25, differences of 10. So I remember 15 to 25, 25 to 35, and then a lot more for underweight and a lot less for underweight. (laughs) For a morbidly obese, they should only gain 10 to 20 pounds across the whole pregnancy. So weight gain, I just do BMI, underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, quarter system, pounds per week. That also helps you ballpark how much weight they should have gained at this visit, knowing the gestational age. When it comes to the GI system, a lot of complaints happen that mom cares about. All these things we've been talking about are diseases, physiology, and understanding her body. When it comes to GI, this is the stuff that hurts mom. This is what she feels, and it's common. So diseases you're going to have to be able to tackle are things like reflux, nausea in general, constipation, and iron deficiency. GERD you're going to treat with PPIs. Make mom feel better. Nausea, on ondansetron. Usually, the nausea and vomiting of the first trimester ends after the first trimester. If it continues, you may need to help mom out. Constipation can be any combination of stool softeners and motility agent. Not one better than the other, because usually it stays in the GI tract. And if mom is going to suffer anemia, it's going to be iron deficiency, so give her iron, but iron is going to make her constipation worse, so make sure you give it with stool softeners and motility agents. Lastly, remember gallbladder disease being female and fertile are two of the five Fs in gallbladder disease. This happens often in pregnancy as well. If you're going to have the gallbladder removed, unless it's urgent or emergent, you should do it in the second trimester. I talked about a lot of stuff. What I want you to hone in on is mom's blood pressure should be low. Her delivery of oxygen is increased because her red blood cell volume is increased, but her plasma is increased more. Mom can tolerate significant blood loss, up to 1,000 cc's, that would kill a healthy 18-year-old male. Pearl, IVC compression, turn her on her left. Lungs don't change that much. The uterus causes a reduced functional residual capacity. Doesn't change FEV1, respiratory rate, or PAO2. Clotting factors are increased. Therefore, she should clot. Vibrinogen should be elevated. So too should D-dimers. Never use a D-dimer diagnostically. It's going to be elevated in pregnancy. Kidneys, creatinine should be low. Weight, the quarter system, one quarter, two quarters, three quarters, four quarters pounds per week gained, and GI is symptomatic relief of GERD, nausea, and constipation. That is physiology of pregnancy.